0: minimum balance required.
1: This is the Ben Burnett Show, the only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show. My guest today is state senator. Yes, I should say Georgia state senator. I've got people who listen from all around the country now, which is scary. Greg Dolezal, welcome to the show, buddy.
2: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: I, thanks for, some people make really long treks to come on. Yours
2: is not nearly as unmanageable. I, you know, I wanted to be on the show so bad, man, that I I drove eight (laughs) minutes to get here. And it was, it it, it shows my commitment. Greg, where did you grow up? I grew up in a small town called Plainfield, Illinois, outside of Chicago. At the time that I was growing up, the town sign said 3,800 people, uh, but it exploded. uh, As I was growing up, went to school in the city. Um, lived in the city for a year after that, as I was working at a law firm, studying for the LSATs, took the LSATs, uh, and the lure of Emory law school drew me to Atlanta, ended up moving here, getting hired at North point community church, deferred law school, started a tech company, went into the music business, uh, and then went into politics. And that's the last 20 years. And so you still don't know what you want to do. I tell people I like to do a lot of things. Talk about each of those. What, what drew you down South? When I was in college, I was producing some events at my school, and I got to know these guys at the time that nobody really knew their names, Louis Giglio, Chris Tomlin, David Crowder, and there was a Bible study happening in Atlanta at North Point Community Church called 722, and this is pre-iPhone, this is 2001. I started watching that, impacted my life significantly, wanted to kind of be in the flow of what was happening here, so when I took the LSATs and applied to law school, Emory was one that I definitely wanted to apply to. Applied, got accepted. Figured I'd move here, see if I liked it, uh, and if I did, I would go to law school here. If not, I would go back and you know go to school somewhere in the Midwest where I was from. So you lived in Alpharetta essentially. Exactly. Yep. Moved straight to Alpharetta. Ended up just kind of going to 722. Then I ended up on staff at 722 as the creative director. And then got involved heavily with Passion Conferences, which is how I got plugged into traveling with Chris Tomlin from about 2005 to 2015. How is he? He's phenomenal. I talked to him today. He's still a dear friend. You know, it was the it was really an amazing experience. When I started, it was a bus and a trailer.
1: Yeah, the, and, and then and then life happened, and and yes. the marketing machine behind all of that. Not I don't take anything away from the guy's talent. I would never would or a songwriter or anything like that. That dude sits at a level. In, I won't even say Christian music. He sits at a level in music that most people can't even
2: dream of, even ones that have success. I remember being on the road one time, and I think it was Time Magazine did an article, and they essentially said something along the lines of, we don't know who wrote the Happy Birthday song. But next to whoever wrote Happy Birthday, Chris Tomlin is the most sung songwriter in the world. And that puts all of that into perspective when you think about that, that there are people all over the world every single day singing his songs. And he's, he's a humble guy from... Just outside of Tyler, Texas, and he's the same guy he was today as the day that I met him, which is about what you want somebody to say about you. Is he living you know? here or is he living in Nashville? He's in Nashville, yeah, full time. He moved to Nashville. Um, he moved here from Texas just to help start Passion City Church in two thousand eight. I think probably by thirteen he was he had been moved out of Nashville.
1: I have not seen Giglio in a while. I'm he's being he's an
2: influencer now. What's he up to? So he's pastoring Passion City Church, which is where my family goes to church. Um, you we, drive all the way down to the Battery, essentially? We go down. We actually go to Lindbergh, 515 Garson Drive. So there's the, the location out at Cumberland, and then there's the location out at Trillith as well, the, uh, the movie studio that Dan Cathy owns down south of the city. And then there's a location in Washington, D.C. that's become a really influential church in D.C., and Ben Stewart's the pastor there who, for my money, is the, one of the most phenomenal communicators of our generation. How do you decide to move away from 722 and go on staff at a church? So actually I or was, was, or it wasn't one in the same. So North Point was kind of funding the 722 thing. It was a part of the church, but it wasn't, it was a weird deal. And then Chris called me one day and said, hey, I'd like you to be my tour manager. I said, dude, I've got no clue what that means. I'd never been on the road. Perfect. And he, that's what he said. He's like, perfect. We'll figure it out. And so it was the perfect opportunity for me because it started small. And literally the last concert that I did with him was a sold-out concert at Madison Square Garden in New York. And so I'm like, I'm done. We've, we've ridden the wave. That last run was like Red Rocks, somewhere that where the Heat play in Miami, uh, Madison Square Garden. And it was the opportunity for me to grow my leadership, which was awesome that he placed that trust in me to, to grow from – I don't know eight people on the road to hundred. You um, had and, vans and, and like buses
1: and and buses, semis. trucks, the
2: whole deal. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. I still do a few live a few live events every year, uh, productions that I stay involved in. But we've got four kids, eleven and under, and so by twenty fifteen we had two, and it was became very clear to me two things became clear. One, if you want to be a dad, you need to be home more than I was able to be home. And two, that game is a young man's game. And oh I yeah, was not a young man anymore. So I sat <laughs> I, I sat on the road in NASCAR for two years and it's a
1: circus yep. in every, you know, cause you have forward trucks that are going somewhere before you go or an advanced team or whatever you want to say. I think it was 36 out of 40 weeks. I was gone. And then you get Thanksgiving and Christmas. And by the time the first of the year rolls around, it's Daytona again. Yeah.
2: It's a grind
1: man. It, and, yeah. and, and, and all the days that I had to be in Atlanta or Charlotte were maybe Sunday. Some rarely, Monday, Tuesday gone. And right. like you can't do that and be a good dad, right? You can't. Like I, I get that people do. I won't say you can't. It's really, really hard if you're gonna
2: have a young family. That's right. I think it's amazing for us for a season of life. It was awesome. And I look at life as different seasons of life. This political thing is just a season. I don't know what the next season is going to be, but I've I've kind of traveled in these seasons of life, which honestly is something I learned from Louis Giglio. He walked away from 722 at the height of it all. And didn't know what he wanted to didn't do. didn't know what he wanted to do. I share that
1: in a thousand. I loved public service for four years, and I knew probably 3.25 years into it. I was like, you know what? I really like doing content. I really like talking to people. Like, if I could do anything, I would. And, I mean, I was 37 or 38. If I could do anything, I would want to figure out how to be on 60 Minutes. And then I was like, well, hell, nobody's ever going to call me from 60 Minutes unless they show up at my door and I don't know they're coming, which is not what you want. And But at the same time, it has made me – it's always okay. It's not that you don't have to go through a divorce process. Even though you know you want to move on with your life and even though you know that's the right thing to do, sometimes figuring
2: that out is painful. It is. And for me, you know, your identity becomes, hey, you're the guy on the road with Tomlin, or hey, you're the, you know, people yes, call you senator. you for five can't. Or, and it, it forces you into this discipline of decoupling your identity from what you do, which I think is probably one of the most significant personal disciplines that you can have, because when you and I meet, what's the first thing we talk about, as men especially? Well, what do you do? Right. And it's this benchmarking. And so to walk through a season of life where your answer is, I don't know what I do is a powerful thing because it forces you to connect with who you really are as a person as opposed to coupling that with who you, with what you do. So you, I
1: know you sat on the planning commission in Forsyth County. Lamar Wakefield told me that, yeah. which I'm sure that was, you didn't become friends with him out of happenstance. I'm sure it was like, hey, I'm working on something. What do you think about this? How did public service kind of scratch the surface because
2: you clearly had a vocation or vocations because that for sure is not a full-time job. That's right. Yeah, so it was a local issue for me. I was driving, I was on, um, we drove on a road every day to get to work where there was just incredible traffic, right? I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't know who my county commissioner was. I didn't know, you know, who, who the planning commissioner was. I just knew that this road needed to be widened. So I started a website called fixedforsythetraffic.com. I literally stood on the side of the road for a week, handing out push cards in bumper-to-bumper traffic. I'd walk up to people Wave to them. They'd roll their car window down. I gave them a push card. The push card would send them to the website. Once they got to the website, there was a, a basically an opportunity for them to email their county commissioners. And within two weeks, we generated about 550 emails to the county commission. <laughs> and they don't get a lot. They don't get a lot. Three three weeks after that, they released I think it was 28 million dollars from the county reserve fund to widen the road. So it was my first real taste of government's responsive when people mobilize. And so from there, I think it was the county commissioners were basically like, what do I do with this guy? So they put me on the planning commission. To shut you up. Exactly. That's that's how it works. Bring me into the fold. I ended up being at odds with a couple of the county commissioners. I wrote an open letter around taxation in Forsyth County. It was, I called it the myth of low taxes in Forsyth County, which kind of put me at odds with the establishment in the county at the time. And I just began to needle on these issues that I thought were important and people followed. And so that gave way to, I remember in twenty. Sixteen, my state rep resigned and moved out of the state for for personal work, and so this house seat became available. The lady that had primaried him the year before, Sherry Gilligan, called me, and she said, "Greg, I think you should run for the uh, the seat." It was a special election. I think the special elections are like fifty days; they're very short, and which means they're cheaper. And, and they're cheaper, and you get used to, you don't wear out your shoes as much knocking on doors. I knocked on ten thousand doors ultimately when I ran for senate, which was crazy. But Sherry said, if you need to run, if you don't, I'm going to run again. But if you do run, I'll endorse you, which was such a vote of confidence from her. My wife and I spent time praying through it quickly, like three days, and got back to Sherry. We just did not feel a sense of peace about it. So we ultimately said, Sherry, this isn't our time. We're going to support you. And Sherry went on to win that race. And I didn't know this, but within a year and a half, my state senator announced he was running for governor. And we, Natalie and I, went through the same process, talked about it, prayed about it. And just had a very different sense about that at that time. I ran. I was in a three-way race against one of the county commissioners I had addressed my open letter to. And then a guy that was a business owner, wealthy guy in the county that was kind of coming out of nowhere and running for political office like a lot of people were in 2018 because they were inspired by Donald Trump to do that. My hope was to get into the runoff. This guy, the county commissioner, was going to be the most formidable.
1: Yeah, because I'm sure he had a— Enough of the stakeholder money.
2: 12 years in office, had been elected multiple times, massive name ID, owned multiple restaurants in the county, um, had done some good work and had done some bad work, which is honestly true of all elected officials. But we went toe to toe. I wanted to get in the runoff because insurgents tend to have a fighting chance at a runoff. But man, I worked so hard. Our team worked so hard. I knocked on, I mentioned this already, but 10,000 doors myself. I, kn- I started knocking on doors at the end of September to get ready for a May election
1: yeah, it's all it's it was a grind it, and dude, I'm one of them. So few people in this world will actually do it. And that is I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know that you can do that. And I'm telling all of you at home, who ever think that there's a Senate seat that's open. It's huge. It's like the third of a size of a congressional district. That's right. It's not small. And to get to 10,000 doors, there's a lot of people. If you think you're popular, start knocking on doors. That's right. (laughs) Because nobody gives a crap who you are, and they're always impressed when somebody who's running for office shows up at the doorstep. And you know who all the likely voters are because I'm sure you had a team to be like, don't hit these five, hit these two. That's right. But I'll tell you what, man, the sick ones among us, it's like you can take or leave Monday night, issues, public events, and I love some of that. (laughs) I, d- I actually hated ribbon cuttings. I actually like the work if you had a primary challenger to deme- your whole demeanor changes. Yeah. And it's and and unless you do it, man, you just don't get it. That's right. And and it's just the sickest part of me or you. I would love it. Please. And yeah. So I've I, got
2: a guy out there right now who's talking about running against me and like, "Oh man, I'm going to I'm going to trounce you." you I ho- <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> yeah.
1: Talk about getting elected you know, walk me into the beginning part of
2: your time in the state senate. Yes, yeah, so the beauty was there was no runoff. I actually got fifty nine percent of the vote.
1: Fifty nine won
2: it clean. County commissioner got twenty four. The other guy, I think, got sixteen. However, that math works. That's um, embarrassing. So it was man. We had a <laughs> lot of tailwind, and we just had a message people were resonating with. And I think that there's something, especially in these days, people don't. So I had I had a meeting with um, a high level donor, and he just said, "Man, you're refreshingly unconventional." And I think that that's what voters resonated with then. I think that's why I've gained some traction that I've gained is because I'm just not your typical guy who's always wanted to be in office. And then you're not – Always you're wants to be in office. And you're going to do something else. That's right. But, yeah, I got in – I mean, the issues for me were were issues I personally cared about. They were – as a small business owner, they were issues around taxation. In Forsyth County, there are inf- issues around infrastructure. You know, Georgia still underfunds our infrastructure. School choice was a massive issue for me. It's, it's exploded as an issue on the national stage since then. We can talk about my bill in a second. We are, because
1: so, I, I, think, I think we ultimately see things
2: the same way, but there, there's something I would change. Okay, I'm open to the change. Make it better, man. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about being elected office is let's say that I cared about seven or eight things, maybe 10 things. The thing that I didn't fully anticipate coming into it is you are made to care about everything because everybody cares about something, For example, casino gaming is not something that really ever kept me up at night either way. I I can make an intellectual argument with you either way on the issue, right? But that's something a lot of people are really passionate about. So on stuff like that, I tend to follow my constituents and follow my district. We take an annual survey every year to kind of figure out where people are at. And then there's some things where I have strong feelings. that I'm going to vote what my convictions are around that. But that was one surprising thing to me was just how much you're kind of made to care about things that you just don't really necessarily care about all that much. Brandon Beach is a good
1: friend of mine, and I know he's a friend of yours. And, like, if that dude is known around the state of Georgia for one thing, I mean, he can walk into 680, the fan, and they they would have him a fundraiser. Yeah. (laughs) Because they're like, it would would be great for our ratings and the segments could change and all that. And I sit like you, and I'm not a Civil Liberties guy. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, if you're honest with yourself, it takes advantage of people who probably can least afford to be taken advantage of, and we know we're going to do this to them. But is that my fault? It's the perfect is the enemy of the good thing? I don't know. Every state around us, and this is kind of where I fall on it and where I kind of, where he eventually won me over. I'm not the guy who's like, when you go to Harris, it's all Georgia license plates. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dude, I've heard you say it a thousand times. But when you see Tennessee do it, in North Carolina, at some point, it's going to happen. And if you are ultimately going to lose, this is what I would tell the people who are adamantly opposed to it. At some point, you are going to lose on that issue to people that you don't want to lose on that issue too. That's right. And if you let the Democrats drive it, and gave them 100% of what they wanted, you'd be really pissed you didn't do that while you had the chance.
2: Yeah, and, that's, and Beach is a great friend and a great legislator. That's his case. He's actually got a draft of a bill right now that would put half of the funding towards infrastructure. Oh, he's so he's, he's paying I, the piper with everybody. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So there's some stuff in that bill that I love. There's some stuff on the on the other 50% that I don't love. I don't love uh, conceptually kind of the crony capitalism that can come into this where you've got these protectionism elements built into the bills. I'm with you. I'm a, Hardcore civil liberties guy. I vote no more than about anybody in the Senate, largely because so many of the bills that we have before us are in some way, shape or form growing government. Sure. Um, the quintessential example they do. of that for me was we formed a farmer's market commission because that's what farmer's markets need is regulation. And so, you know, a bill like that for me, is just an automatic no every time. What you just laid out as far as the kind of the both sides of that gambling argument it's I think going our, to happen i think our arguments we have to be able to to process in a hundred years from now will georgia have casino gaming i would if i had to press a red or green button yes i think that it would have you know if i try to predict the future well,
1: and there are things that i would vote for as an elected official to allow people the opportunity to vote on the issue that i would go in the polling place and vote no on yeah that's
2: not the same thing. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a constitutional amendment, right? So the, all that we're voting on ultimately. I don't the know that it's out there yet. Is it is out there letting yet? Letting people vote on it. Is what out there yet? Is is his? Uh, I mean, he's walked oh, his bill. No, yeah. he's, I've seen the draft of it. He just drafted it this off session, so you'll see it next session.
1: Because I know there's carve-outs for historically black colleges, and like
2: I was like, man, I mean, I I gotta hand it to you. As a guy who loves the process, you are going for everybody. Yeah, yeah. He's and he's been at this the whole time that he's been in the Senate. So this is a, a, certainly a passion project for him. He and I have become really strong allies. We both serve on. We're both lieutenant governors appointments to the committee on assignments, which I was joking to you in the pre-show is the smoke-filled room where a lot of the... You heard Greg Dole, Greg Bluestein, Did you hear that? <laughs> he, Greg probably knows, although it doesn't mean Greg will report on it honestly. We, get, we can talk about my frustration with the media in a second because I, I think it's just the AJC at this point in time has lost all sense of credibility. In my, you know They do these opinion columns. You know, Patricia Murphy does these opinions. Th- like, Don't even put that precursor on your articles at this point because everything that you write at this point is an opinion.
1: I am very open. I've said it on the radio a thousand times. Like, whoever's in second place, I think that they're in better position to drive the party forward in 2024 from a perception of who has the best chance to win nationwide. I believe that. However, I also know that that is not likely to happen. As you have seen the AJC in recent weeks cover the indictment, and I have the fortune of sitting in locally elected office in Fulton County and knowing that they suck at everything. And I mean everything. There are 100-year-old water and sewer lines in Alpharetta that they can't find. That's in. That's just inexcusable. And so when I tell people, like, you know, trust me, they're not good at anything. I feel a sadness in this country both ways because I know people like you who have been indicted. I'm not even going to get into the case that I know spent their own money and their own resources doing something that they advocated in or for or a, or a person or a cause that I disagree with, that is not illegal. Yeah. When you start to see that some of the charges from a RICO statute or said individual received an email that they didn't respond to or didn't forward, and that's cited as something against you, like how many things, Greg, do you get that you don't respond to? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's not Ill- like half the time that is the best thing you could possibly do.
2: Yeah, I saw the, the one that I saw today as I was reading the indictment is Mark Meadows is cited as contributing to the conspiracy because he wanted to see the signature audit in person that was happening in northwest Atlanta. And all that he showed up, he asked if he could come in. They told him no. And he left. I don't know if you know this, but in the runoff election, I submitted a request for an absentee ballot with a blatantly botched signature that did not match did. my signature. We had friends who did the same thing. They actually had their children sign sign. In Fulton County had their kids sign their application for absentee ballots and receive the ballots. West Cantrell did the same thing. And so we know that the signature process is crap. Is, is ridiculous. And so we changed the law, we fixed it, but the signature audit should be something that everybody was interested about. Cause you went from 180,000 absentee by mail ballots to 1.3 million because of the way that Raffensperger ultimately just changed election law on the fly under the authority that was given to him by the general assembly with the emergency powers, which by the way, the emergency powers need to be looked at in the state of Georgia because emergency powers are either on or they're off everywhere. So it's either the same for it's the same for nuclear war as it is for a respiratory virus.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I said that it was 2020 was dark even before it was political. When you're having your shutdown conversations as a municipality, it's like I have a lot of really good skill sets and none of them have anything to do with infectious diseases. And I recognize that. And I I always catch flack from an individual when I say that I got a 950 on my SAT scores. It's like, I don't need to be making this this decision. <laughs> and at the same time, I do. Yeah. Because you can't – politics should never outsmart the room. You have to have smart, credible people from all sorts of backgrounds. But when you sit there and you honestly looked at it and, and you gave a mayor or a county commissioner emergency powers, our, our mayor would have never in a million years violated any of those – or any of the people I sat on the council with – they're by and large good people. There's yeah. huge disagreements. None of us disagreed on the big stuff. But there are places where you see in other states, like, I mean, they had
2: people locked down for years, essentially. And you it was had like kids not allowed to go to school through 2021 into 2022 in the Midwest. I, I
1: went to California. In April of last year, and you still had to wear a mask on an airplane when you went, and when you came back, you didn't. What changed in 20—you yeah. know what? It's And that, that was the kind of thing I was like, I think we got this wrong. Absolutely. Just, just as a society, and I think we've talked about this. You referenced that meritocracy, the marketplace of ideas, Republicans win. I believe that. I don't know that we have a messenger right now who is able and capable of conveying that on a large macro scale. But I give Governor Kemp a ton of credit for not outthinking the room during COVID for any longer than he absolutely had to. Yeah, I've not spoken to him about it. I, I do. I'm going to get him on in the fall, and I want to go through that because I'm not. I'm not the guy who's going to sit here and poke at you. But I'll. I'll ask anybody. Like, hey man, what shots did you take that you wanted back? Because he'll answer. Yeah. Those are the macro things where I think we were all kind of on the same page, even if it was marginally different. And that's where the Republican and you see it now. Ron DeSantis has come into massive amounts of prominence based on how he governed through covid might not have been as boisterous and picked all the fights that I chose to pick. But that doesn't make him wrong on on that issue in that time frame. I mean, how have you seen it changing your from your first term into your third? Because I think the Democrats after 2016 really became different.
2: Yeah, we've seen obviously a a massive leftward shift in that party. And so if you look at some of the polling numbers, this is particularly interesting. From 2018 to 2022 among Hispanics, Democrats had a 47 percent lead in a general, just a blind ballot, right? Would you vote for a Democrat or Republican? And Hispanics largely trended towards Democrats. That's now even. And so what you see, especially you mentioned Governor DeSantis, what you see is Miami-Dade, It's not that these people are changing to Republicans, that Republicans are speaking to their ideals and they're resonating with those more than they are with the direction that the Democrat Party essentially left them. That's what Misha Maynard says, the House rep who switched parties largely um, because of her vote on my school choice bill, the way that they shishkebobbed her after that and essentially ostracized her from the party for standing up for her constituents who are in failing schools and don't have the financial resources to get out. So what Misha says is the Democrat Party left me. And so if you look at what's happening with the, around the gender ideology, if you look at what happens specifically on a lot of those kind of issues. It's has, not competitive. Asians look at that. Hispanics look at that. A lot of African-Americans look at that. And they just say, wait a minute, what's going on? So if you look at what's happened with the Republican Party, the Republican Party is becoming the party of the multicultural working class. And the Democrat Party is largely now trending towards being the party of the rich white elites. And that's why you see – the media will speak of this in a disparaging way, saying, well, all of the people with college uh, degrees you know, voted for Biden and those without voted for Trump. And that's not really what it is. What it is is really this coalition of, of working class people who resonated with President Trump, resonate with the Republican Party, and perhaps equally and even more so reject the ideology of the left. You mentioned mouthpieces. I think Vivek Ramaswamy is going to be a thought leader in this country and an amazing mouthpiece. I hope so. From the next generation – Guy's incredibly sharp. He's
1: got more money than everybody who's run for president except Trump. That's right, and, and then some. And like on some level, like we we should. I think the Republican Party does a and, and and it's honestly a criticism. I think the Republican Party should do a better job of putting people like him in positions of power and prominence as thought leaders, and not make the guy spend his own money to run for president. Because I don't one, I don't think he can win, but two. To show the diversity of religious beliefs and thought and race, it's not just race when That's we right. talk about diversity. Like that guy, everybody, when they debate in a couple of weeks, ought to celebrate
2: him. Yeah, and I think that they will. And I, you know, he's, he came out of nowhere. I think that what you, what you want to happen, you'll see happen in the future. But he's a great example, I think, of what we're going to see in this next generation of, of leaders who are rejecting the neo-Marxism of the left. And who are saying, wait a minute, my parents fled a country. I talk about how I believe that immigrants ultimately will save this country again because so many of my constituents that I talk to who are first-generation immigrants. And there's a ton of them in Forsyth a lot County. Of them, we've got the fastest-growing Asian population, not in Georgia, in America. And what they will say is, Greg, where else am I going to go? This is the last best hope, and we know what works. And for whatever reason, you all have been inoculated to the greatness that you have, and you're afraid to speak up about the values that, of what it means to be an American – and we don't even appreciate what we've been given you know, from the from the fathers and the, those that came before us, the founding fathers, those that came before us in this country. So I think that that's a movement that we're going to see continue to build as the next generation takes the reins in politics. You brought it up, so I'm going to
1: go here. And for those of you who think we have sat here for 28 minutes and agreed on 97% of things— Talk to me about your school choice bill, and then I will tell you my problems with the concept.
2: Yeah, so the school choice bill would basically be, parochially, you would call it a money follows the child bill. So you've got two main sources of funding for education in the state of Georgia. There's really three. The feds give us about 10%, and with that 10%, we get all sorts of strings attached. But call it half the money comes from the state, half the money comes locally from your property taxes. And what my bill would say is that if you're in a school at the bottom 25 percent, as established by the Department of Education, that you can – the parents can take that money. It's about $6,500 $6, $5 in the bills, the current version of it, and they can take it to a private school, homeschool, uh, virtual school. I think that we'll see other forms of innovative education pop up around bills like this because it's going to free up the free market to meet the needs and the demands. Of the families, but you can take that money with you and go pursue an education opportunity of your choice. Because what we're seeing is, is a couple of different things. One, the bad schools that are quote failing schools don't get better fast enough, right? So we have continued to inject money after money after money. I can show you the the trend lines of going back to the 70s when we spent four thousand dollars of twenty twenty one dollars on education per child. And Today we spend thirteen thousand. The outcomes are worse. So uh, we still agree. Yeah. So <laughs> that's the essence of the bill. We got it out of the Senate for the first time ever. I had a school choice bill my freshman year in the Senate. that failed in spectacular fashion. My first bill uh, went down in flames on the floor. Uh, did, did you know that was coming? You know, I was hopeful, um, <laughs> ignorantly hopeful. It, there was a little bit of a of – that was a – I guess, a proxy war between the then lieutenant governor and the then leadership. So I had a bunch of leadership who voted against my bill. Is it Casey? Because, no, Jeff Duncan.
1: Oh, yeah, Jeff. Uh, sorry, yeah. I, sk- I skipped one. Yeah, so he. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't sound like Casey.
2: He was a big school choice guy and actually asked me to carry the bill. And I did. And, so, and leadership didn't appreciate that he was forcing it to the floor. Because for some people, it's a tough vote, even though it's part of, it's part of the Republican Party platform. I mean, it's in our platform. At this point. This year, every Republican in the in the chamber voted for it. It's the first time a significant school choice bill has ever passed the Senate. Failed spectacularly this year in the House by five votes. I wouldn't say spectacularly. It was like five. Do you know who the do you know who the Republicans are that killed your bill in the House? I yeah. I mean, I know who voted no, and I know who reluctantly voted yes to some extent. And, but you know, the the marker of that for me, if you're a Republican who voted no, the marker of that for me was after the bill failed. And this is not an exaggeration. When I tell you the Democrats went to the Annie room, which is like the side room where you can go to make a phone call or grab a you know, cup of coffee, they went to that room and had a 12-minute long dance party. And the irony for me is that my bill largely will help their constituents more than it will help my own. I don't have any failing schools in Forsyth County.
1: No, and I don't have any in North Fulton. Yeah. Here's what I, wanna, here's what I want you to noodle on. I bought my house in the Milton High School District for a reason. You can call me whatever ist you want to call me. I don't care. I never will. One of the things about having a uh, adopted child of a different race is I feel like it has freed me to a certain degree to just tell people the truth. And I bought my house in the Milton High School District for the reason that the property values would follow it. Yep. We still don't disagree. My question to you first is the QBE formula that goes into – the donor system where there's five mils of my property taxes and your property taxes and Cherokee County's property taxes fund the rest of the state of Georgia. And if you will fix that part of it and you give Forsyth and Fulton and Cobb I don't even know if Cobb still is. You probably do. Fulton, Forsyth, Cobb, Cherokee. If you will maybe Gwinnett even still give us our five mils back, I'll leave you alone. Because I'm the guy who sat here, here at the beginning and said, sometimes you have to determine who you want to lose to and how you want to lose. To me, that is a form of socialism. And if you took that piece of it and put it in your bill, I guarantee you Republicans from South Georgia would scream and yell and pitch a fit. That's right. But it is socialism, period. And yeah. if you want your stuff to be worth more, Lord, the economic activity, I promise you both things follow. And so to me, you're not entirely fixing the cog in the wheel. If you want to give them $6,500 to work on transportation or whatever, to go to a school, most of the high schools in North Fulton where these kids would want to go aren't at capacity and they could go there anyway.
2: Yeah, we actually have a bill. Sean Stills working on a bill that would do something similar to that. But look, the five mil share is absurd. Um, it absolutely is redistribution. Republicans like redistribution when it's redistributed to them, but they don't like it when it's redistributed to other people. It's, there's an irony there, which ultimately that gets to, yes, what it was like to get elected. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. That's my only issue we, with the whole thing. Well, and that's not, you don't have an issue with my bill. You have an, exi- an issue with existing statute, which I have an issue with that too. And if I, if you made me King for a day, I would change it overnight because it, it is patently unfair and it's, it is a form of socialism. It's redistrib- We got, we got, other forms of redistribution in the state as well, for sure. But that gets back to who do we elect, and do we elect people who have a fundamental core worldview that aligns with conservative principles? Or do we elect people that kind of want to go to the Capitol and bring home the bacon for their county, and they're largely going to be judged on, you know, did you go to Atlanta and get me some of the Atlanta cheese and bring it back home? And some people, to be fair, their primary goal, and their this is what their constituents want— is to go get some of Atlanta's money and bring it it back home.
1: And that's the way the 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 country works. You see states with two senators that have seven or eight electoral votes. That's the only way they get certain things funded. I'm not going to say I don't understand all of it, but I think you should take the opportunity, even if it's a separate bill, because I've said the same thing to Senator Brandon Beach, and you ought to fix both of those things, if nothing else, to put people on the record. I am completely fine with you pursuing both avenues. The other thing that I wanted about school choice that I'm not entirely certain over is that, yes, you said it, you take it can take the bad schools and make them worse, and I don't know, it will give opportunity to kids, and I don't know how many are going to ultimately take the opportunity. My fear is that you give me $6,500, this Kings Ridge Christian school just increase their tuition by $6,500. I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you it certainly doesn't hurt with Teslas and, and, and EVs. The infrastructure changes in your counties, the failing schools or the successful schools as a declining population happens with 30s and 40s are not having children like they used to. So a lot of these schools have vacancies. The hard cost to having a failing school doesn't really change if it has 4% less people. And, and I get that that to me, is more of a local school board issue. It's like, well, we do do we tear this one down, sell the property, and whatever. But it takes a while for that to get there, and I think that that's what would ultimately happen. But I don't want to see. I like Sam Nunn. I like I like the Sam Nunn Zell Miller. You know, I won't even say I don't di- I don't really dislike Roy Barnes. I like the people that cared about poor kids because. On some level, I want as many of them to be people in the middle class as possible, and not everybody's going to have all the same opportunities, and nothing is perfect. But do you think that it actually changes the cost for the counties with those schools? Because if you move people around and send them to private schools,
2: the county's going to turn around and just raise property taxes. No, so here's the beauty of it. We Jeffrey Dorfman, who's now the chief economist for the state of Georgia, when he was at UGA looked at this issue, and because the marginal cost to educate a child – is higher than the local property taxes. When we take the child, we take the state funding with them, but the local funding stays there. So of 179 districts in the state at the time, 177 of those actually see their dollars per capita increase because you're taking the cost away, but you're keeping half the money there. So that's the the, the beauty of this. And this is where the school superintendents associations or teachers associations, they'll throw that out there And you put the data in front of them and they don't want to talk about the data because, because the data doesn't fit the narrative, right? The reason I think that this is fought so much is that my mom was a public school teacher and she would support my bill. And I think a lot of public school teachers are supportive of the bill, but the, the unions, which are largely out of touch with the rank and file members drive the narrative. So if you look at what, what the any day and NEA and Randy Weingarten are communicating Uh, from the national teachers unions, completely out of step. I would reckon to say with 95% of the teachers in Forsyth County, completely different set, uh, different value set. Of course. But the unions drive the narrative. So, which is why you see Ron DeSantis in Florida do things like no longer can you have union dues that A, renew automatically, or B, are taken out of your paycheck. He's now forced the unions to make them pay pay annually with a check. (laughs) So they now reevaluate their membership status. And so those are some things that, that we need to look at here in the state of Georgia as well. We need to keep the child at the centerpiece of the conversation. The other thing I'll say about education, lastly, is if you walk into a classroom when I was in school and you walk into my child's classroom today, it looks largely the same with the exception of a smart board and we need to innovate much faster in education. We need to embrace the the role of technology in education. We need to decouple birth year from what a child is doing and let a child move at their own pace. Our four children are very, very different. Some of them should be moving faster. Some of them should be moving slower. And we need to think, we need to A, abolish the Department of Education um, at the federal level because it's unconstitutional. It's By the way, when I say that, people think that that sounds radical. I am older than the Department of Education. So the country somehow survived for you know, 250 years without a Department of Education at the federal level. But now it's, you know, it's, it's almost this – there's this pedagogy built around this concept that you have to have uh, all these federal agencies that exist that are making things ultimately worse.
1: I'm yeah. going to go back to your local roots. I like transportation, and you were handing out push cards about widening a certain road. That's right. In Forsyth County – Voted against the t splost in the last, in the midterm cycle. Correct. How did you? Where do you come down on that issue? And do you think it ultimately? I think it ultimately gets done. I think the electorate changes, and I think people realize that nothing is free. I also think that the Republicans in the state house and the state senate, by and large, even though nothing is perfect, deserve an immense amount of credit, and they like consumption-based taxes. But it's going to be a tax increase That's right. That, that goes to the voter referendum. Where do you come down on that issue? What do, what do,
2: what do average people not understand about the bill? Yeah, so we had a local T-sploss that, that failed. I think that's what you're talking about. I think you have to remember where Forsyth County is, and I actually would, would say the opposite. I think that the citizens of the county fundamentally are probably more in touch with that issue than they are most issues that they voted on. The reason I say that is the the out of control growth, the crony capitalism that's happening at the county level with lower in, impact fees and some of the other. Certainly, traditionally, the gifts that have been handed out by the county commissioners to take care of legacy families and such, and, and friends of politicians and stuff like that, frankly, is uh, it's definitely it's a lot more old pale. school than Alpharetta. Sure, I, I, <laughs> we're where Alpharetta was 30 years ago, right? right. I think that 30 I'm, years ago that was probably happening in Alpharetta in some capacity. But here's what you had: you have you have a voter who says, you want me to pay more tax? Okay, consumption tax. I can get on board with a consumption tax. I think it's the most fair form of taxation. Plus, it will capture money from those that live outside the county but you know, do business here or work here, et cetera. Great. Now let's talk about my property tax bill. You've raised my property tax bill every single year. You have not done a millage rate rollback for commercial property owners on the county side. We have a floating homestead exemption for the – That keeps up. For the, but only for the for the called the county portion of the tax, not for the board of education, and we've got record valuation increase after record valuation increase, and you've got literally tens of millions of dollars of annualized budget increases, and nobody's talking about hey, how are we going to stem the tide of the fact that your mortgage payments going up two hundred dollars a month just to pay for the property taxes? So ultimately, the voters looked at this and said. Y'all told us you weren't going to raise taxes if we passed an East Blast. We passed an East Blast, and no, you haven't raised the millage rate, but you've done these backdoor increase tax increases through, you know, the, the, not doing a, a millage rollback. And I think voters looked at that, and they also looked at it and said, "You won't slow down the growth. You built more apartments here in the last three years than I've ever seen you build before, and we're not going to give you more money right now because we don't trust you." And I think that the the bulk of the politicians in the county probably make the mistake of looking at it, no offense, similar to the way that you did, which is, well, the voters just don't understand. And I actually think the voters acutely understand, and it was a, a repudiation of decisions that have been made over the last 15 years in the county. Because I hear this all the time. People say something very simple, and you'll appreciate this as a Milton resident. No, Alpharetta, don't ever say make, that. Well, you said Milton High School. So I'll, <laughs> but what they say is, make us more like Milton. Yeah. We don't want to be Gwinnett 2.0. I, and they don't. When you're zoning lots that are, you know, there's a zoning up in the county in, in my area where I think that they're like tenth of an acre lots or something like that. And you and there's no balance, right? There's no executive housing being built. There's there hasn't been a development that I know of built on one acre lots in the entire county in a decade. Sure. So all that you're doing is one type of development. And so the voters had enough and they they re, they rejected it. And I, I do think it ultimately probably will pass. I, I would agree with you, and that's from that standpoint. But I would advise the people that push this at the chamber level and the and the county level that you've got if you come alongside the voters and say, we're gonna ask you for a consumption tax, but we're also going to give you a plan of what growth is gonna look like in this county. We're gonna stop clear cutting, we're gonna preserve some character areas. We passed a floating homestead for schools at the general assembly this year that voters will vote on next year.
1: I bet that passes. It'll vote pass by 99%, right? <laughs> You'd be so shocked. Must must don't get to 80, 90. It will get, yeah. yeah. get to 80. Yeah. It get to
2: 80. We're going to we're going to put a cap on how much my home my property taxes can go up regardless of what happens with the values. I think that then people look at that as a different conversation, but last year, man, the, the, when they did the polling it was like 60-40. Everybody expected this thing to pass, and so when it failed, It really showed me that a lot of, call it the leadership, elected officials and otherwise. Need to be worried. And they were out of step with the average homeowner. They maybe don't run in the circles with the average homeowner. And certainly these conversations, when you talk about a new tax, your first step isn't to say, hey, let me go form a town hall and see what people really think. Because had they done that, I think they would have responded differently. So Forsyth County is making
1: a very, very strong play for an NHL team. And I'll just tell you. Maybe I trade on insider information. Maybe I don't. I think it's coming. The Gathering is something right across the street from Alpharetta. Happens to be where McGinnis Ferry Road was widened. I always wondered why that was being so hot and heavy forced down my throat. Russell McMurray still denies that he didn't know anything. I'm going to let him. Keep that. Under I don't think head. he
2: didn't know anything. He. Uh, and, and, we just needed you all to pay your fair share. Stop trying to get the county to pay our county to pay for all of it.
1: Kev, Kevin Tanner said no. We didn't. I know you were very good friends with Lamar Wakefield and Vernon Krause. Talk
2: about that project and what you think will ultimately happen. Yeah. So the county right now, as I understand, it's going through a, a study, a feasibility study. I think that the county commissioners will negotiate around some of the hot button issues get it to a point that the bulk of people you know it, it, it's it's a mixed bag because will it bring more traffic absolutely will it there will it be a halo effect there will be a halo effect it, I mean, it, it'll you, be huge you think about avalon right we're we're sitting a few minutes away from avalon right now and that was i mean that was going to be the Stanberry, i think and uh, there was a gentleman who went under doing it and you remember you know the name of the road but what was the name of the road that was Thompson street. thompson street the houses were 30 grand each 50 grand each on a good day, right? And those people ended up selling those lots for half a million dollars. And now that's bled into downtown Alpharetta and it's changed the entire area. So I think that that's absolutely what the project will be transformational in that way. They have to get it right. And by get it right, I mean, it needs to be the right blend of housing and the right blend of commercial and office. It needs to be a place that everybody can be proud of. Everything that I'm hearing from the county commissioners that I talk to, is they're going to continue to move it down the move the ball down the field, so I guess move the puck down the ice um, to, use, to, to use the right analogy. But you know, there's for Vernon, this is definitely a um, it's a
1: gift, man.
2: It's a gift. It's and if you build it, they will come because the the NHL has not confirmed anything. Um, their feasibility studies, as I understand it, say this is a viable project without the sports team. The sports team's gravy. So Vernon's moving forward. It's a hundred acres. 20 acres of that will be the arena, parking deck, stuff like that. And then I think there's 70 acres of kind of call it the battery um, that will surround it. So
1: I, I know there are a lot of you who are nervous. Those two, Lamar Wakefield, Vernon Krause, and that team at JLL, Forsyth County, and, and the people in Windward who will show up at a county commission meeting even though you don't live in that county, it's a gift. You, you may live with two years of pain. I'm not going to pretend like you won't. It's not going to be fun to live there. The battery was so transformational to Cumberland, and I think it is even more – if if you had the opportunity to look at the battery 10 years later and Tim Lee, who sat as the county commission chairman in Cobb County and essentially got run out of office over it and the deal and the subsidies and all that, it was the best deal he could have ever cut for Cobb I, County. As
2: I understand it, there was a couple hundred million of local tax dollars that went into that. I don't know how the deal was structured. I think one difference for Forsyth is there's no local money. Uh, there's no local tax money that will be dedicated to this. This will all be Vernon and his team that will put the money up. So that's something that for me would change my support level for it because if there was kind of the, the – if the taxpayers were on the hook, um, that's not something for me that I, I don't like playing that game necessarily. I, you would know more than me. I probably about the battery side of that. I understand that's the game they played. Um, so I'm happy to see Forsyth playing a different game.
1: It, it, and I also want you to know, Forsyth County, you're absolutely going to pay $2 a piece in a bond.
2: It's coming. I don't think it is, man. I I don't think it is. I don't know how it works without it. I don't think it is.
1: Greg, what do you want to leave us with, man? Uh, What are you excited about with the upcoming session? Where do you think George is ultimately going to go? You want to go ahead and talk about 2024 and 2026? You run for governor with everybody else? (laughs) I
2: have no intention of running for governor. (laughs) Um, My good friend, Burt Jones, I think is going to run for governor. He's done a phenomenal job leading the state Senate. I was friends with him in, in the Senate. And you get to know somebody in a certain capacity there, but now where he's you know got the big stick and he's the leader of the Senate, you get to see how somebody leads in a different capacity. The guy's got phenomenal political instincts. Were you at the Jason Aldean concert? No, dude. Was it good? I've never been to a
1: political fundraiser like that in any former fashion ever. And that I, I tell Bert every time I see. I don't see him a whole lot, but I was like, I was like, I, I told him when I came on the show in the fall when he was running in the general, I said, dude. You have a victory night party. What are you? Are you gonna get Morgan Wallen? Right. Like, what are you gonna do?
2: <laughs> yeah, his victory night party. I was in the war. Went well into the middle of the night and into the next day, and then into three days later before we knew. Look, we're gonna continue to fight for for Georgians. We we believe that the Republican platform, as you said, is the path forward for not only Georgia but for America. I'm from a, I'm from what I would call a failed state. I mean, a state of, a, a, a failed city in a failed state. And we need to ensure- And most ensure of the state in Illinois is rural. It is, and it's largely- Chicago. It's it's what I fear that Georgia can become, which is that you have a red state with a blue city, and you get a blue state. And there's a reason why the vast, vast majority of Americans are voting with their feet, and they're not choosing the blue states. No. And it's not a coincidence. It's not the weather. It's bigger than the weather. It is-, it is
1: Opportunity. That is the question that the liberal pundits at the Washington Post, any time I bring it up, they're always like, well, there's this and that. And I was like, hey, look, San Diego is beautiful. California's phenomenal. I had Marcus Allen on in the spring who lives in North Fulton. And I said, dude, like when I saw him at Chipotle. I was like, dude, what are you doing here? Because, I mean, he won a Heisman Trophy at USC. He's the, yeah. one of the great football players of all time in the NFL. And he goes,
2: can't take the politics, man. Wow. I was like, huh. Yeah. Yeah. I think the left has radically overreached. I don't think the country is where they are on Marxism. I don't think the country is where they were on defund the police. No, I don't think the country is where they are on the gender craziness. I mean, we had a, we had a situation in Forsyth County schools, first week of school, seventh graders, and I believe it was 10th graders. One instance in the 10th grade class Students were asked in a form to identify their gender, and then they were they were asked, "May I use this gender when I talk to your parents?" And parents see stuff like that, and they get irate because they don't want to co-parent with the government. <laughs> and even even marginally left leaning Democrats, Ab- absolutely. There's the you, you mentioned the Zell Millers, the Sam Nunns. They would cetera. have hated it absolutely. And and because really, this leftism is a religion, and it has replaced religion largely for those people who are so passionately in that camp it's largely driven by secular humanism the democrats that we talked about don't fall into that camp they had a different moral ideology moral framework different things that they believe that they just don't line up and relate to call it the new the new left so i think that the media likes to pretend that the republican party is so divided but i think that the reality is that the democrat party probably is more divided today than than the republican party
1: my biggest complaint about the democrats and honestly America, you need both parties to be good, and you need them both to have good arguments to drive meritocracy forward. My biggest problem with the Democrats is that they would rather win by one with their ideology the way they want it than win by 10 and pull people from the middle and come back to the right just a little bit and take the people. But we talked about in, you know, in Metro Atlanta, you talk about losing suburban women. To, to the Democrat Party, I I kind of think you can't nominate Herschel Walker. When you see Brian Kemp win precincts in 2022 in the eastern part of Georgia 400, where Stacey Abrams had won and Hillary had won before that, they care about who the person is, the presentation that they put forward, because you can be pro-life. Yeah. like You can be really six weeks abortions out the window pro-life. But you can't treat people like dirt. Yeah, And that's the thing that I, that that's what scares me about some of the guys running for president today. But it also is the same thing that scares me about the left. I, guys, I'm not your enemy. I'm I'm not moving. I still live in this country. Like, yeah. and when you're in power, I hope you like, hey, what about those guys that are more to the right? Like, can we still do the right thing for each other? And that to me is missing in, in a million ways. Greg Dolezal been another episode of the ben burnett show see you guys next week
0: support for extra 1063 comes from natural body spa and skin remedy celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in store and online you can discover mother's day and anniversary presents online at natural body spa and skin remedy at naturalbody.com